Amen. Good morning, church. Delighted to see you this morning. I've got uh, special friends with me this morning. I brought my wife with me. So on the count of three, I'd like for you to say your first name. One, two, three. Karen, you just met everybody. It's just wonderful. It's, uh, it's good. I've got my friend Roddy and Mary Bogus that's on our board of directors with uh, Hope Network. And dear friends of ours, my wife. And of course, James and Diane Prunty are here about half the time. Then they're over in the Denton area about half the time. But had a good weekend with them. And uh, Roddy, these two couples are on our board. You know what that means? I got to thinking about it as I woke up this morning. They're my bosses. Now, I've known them a long time. And that's really scary just from the women's perspective alone. All right? So I'm, I'm grateful to have them here with me this morning. It's good to be with you. Did anybody see the moon last night about 9 or 10 o'clock? And the halo, God is just incredible, isn't he? I mean, God is just so, tonight's supposed to be the super moon, so you don't want to miss that at all. Well, I taught the high school class this morning and, and uh, facilitated some discussion about what really matters and uh, took them to the fellowship hall, gymnasium, whatever you call it. And, and at the center court, I said, this is the core. At the center court, this circle at the center is the core to ask questions. Jared and I and Michelle did. We asked them questions, and they have to move in and out depending on what was really important. It's a great exercise. I also asked them what they really wanted in a preacher. John, you'll find this very interesting. Uh, they want him to be smart. One out of, you know, well, what can I say? Uh, they want him to be funny. Uh, you know, and I said, you mean appropriate humor? And, okay, they deal with that. The third one was they wanted to be relevant. Be in touch with what's going on in the world, what's going on in the culture, what's going on in our lives, the temptations, the struggle, all that's implied of that. They want him to be, I think the word was approachable. Was that right? They want him to be approachable. They want a preacher that can be approachable. And they want him to be involved in the church, in life groups, in the life of the church, as well as the community. And I thought, that's a, that's a pretty good... Uh, Deal. So I said, what, what does God want for a preacher? And uh, they said, uh, really short lessons. No, I didn't. <laughs> they didn't say that. They said, God wants a preacher to be truthful. Truthful. I'll just stop there because that's what I've been trying to do with you since I've been here, is to be truthful. I haven't even asked you to agree with everything I've said. I've asked you to study, I've asked you to think, I've, asked, I've challenged your heart, your mind, and I'm looking forward to being with you for the next five years as we look for a minister. Um, but anyway, let's pray. God, I thank you for this church, for the people that are so gracious and hospitable and giving to the community. I thank you for this long-term presence of this church and this community and the reputation she has I pray, God, that you would fill her more and more with your spirit and more and more with the spirit of Christ and more and more with uh, joy and life and energy for the sake of the kingdom of God, your kingdom, O oh Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Something I've always thought about as a preacher is I don't want to preach for years and have missed what it's all about. I mean, there, there's a way you can read the Bible. There's a way you can study. There's a way you can give lessons and miss what it's all about. 
The other thing I've thought about a lot is I don't want to get to the end of my life having gone to church and said a lot of church services and taken a lot of communion and missed Jesus. And it's possible, church, to do religion in a way and do what's our preference and our comfort and our convenient lives and miss Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, are you willing to engage the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as a participant in the very life of God, in your character, your values, your heart, your service, rather than simply being a consumer of religious goods and services? One of my favorite authors writes it this way. The gospel has less to do with the alleged benefits that might come with believing in God and more with what God plans to do with those who answer Jesus' call to give up all and follow him. You need to hear that again. Notice what's underlined. It, the gospel has less to do with what's alleged benefits that might come with believing in God and more with what God plans to do with those who answer Jesus' call and give up everything and follow him. See, God really wants to work with you. God's not just interested in you having a good life. He's not just interested in you being blessed and receiving all the good benefits of being a part of a good church and a good community with good ideas and good values. God wants to do something with you, and when you answer the call to follow Jesus and give up and follow him, it's a lot different than just being a nice, good church person. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it is a huge difference than being a consumer of religious goods and services. And so the way we've gotten about that the last few weeks, and it is a little bit of a review and repetitive, one of the reasons is on any given Sunday, 20 to 30% of our people aren't here. There was a time I used to be able to preach long series in certain books and and have continuity, and I could get up and say, now last week we talked about, as you remember, nowadays people are mobile, they travel, they go, they go, they, they see grandkids, they go to sports events, they do all kinds of things, and on any given Sunday, 20 or 30% of the Lamar Avenue is not even here. So this is a little bit of a repeat, but it doesn't hurt because that's a good Hebrew way of learning, as I remember reading Scripture. And so what we've done is look at the Gospel of Mark for several weeks. And we're in the central section of Mark. And it's best illustrated by this line that has two bookends to it or two endpoints to it. That the theme of the central section of Mark, beginning with the first blind man story where he had to be touched twice to see clearly, that's not a physical, physical thing only, that's a spiritual point Mark's trying to make. Do you see Jesus clearly? And it ends with blind Bartimaeus, which we'll get there in a few weeks. But that section between the two endpoints, between the two arrows, 
is that Mark's discipleship section of his gospel, and it's going to get intense, and it's going to separate those who just want to consume goods and religious services and those who really want to follow Jesus. And the first people that he's got to deal with is his own disciples who just don't get it. That's why I'm saying I don't want to just go to church for years and preach for years and be a good person and people say, yeah, he's a pretty good preacher and he's a good guy. I want to follow Jesus, don't you? I want to be shaped by, informed by, and molded by Jesus. I'm a long ways from it most days. Occasionally I think, hey, I didn't do bad today. And Jesus says, nope, you're a little arrogant. You're being a little more humble. You need to improve, you know. But I don't want to leave you with this message that you can't grow and you can't mature and that God doesn't delight in you. Zephaniah sings, he sing, just, just Zephaniah 3 says, he sings over you. Imagine that. God sings over you. He exalts over you. I don't want this worm theology. Oh, poor pitiful me, and I'm the worst person, and it's always got to be bad, and I'm not good, and we'll self-deprecate how bad a people we are, and we're just sinners, and we're, we're lower than the worms. Come on. This is a God who James reminded us loves you and gave himself for you there is reason to celebrate and god gives you his esteem it's not self-esteem that i'm interested in in life it's god esteem in me because of the spirit of god amen to that and so in the gospel of mark you, we talked about these bookends so that's where we are today in chapter 9 open your bibles to chapter 9 or open your ipads or your iphones or whatever you have to do your electronic media to find this text chapter 9 beginning in verse 30 Verse 30, and the key thing is blindness. Do you really see who Jesus is? And the central question is, who do, who do you say that I am? It's about, do you really recognize and understand the identity of Jesus Christ? That's where it is. Do you get that? The identity of Jesus Christ is the focal point. Chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples. Catch that. He did not want anyone to know it. He wasn't ready to really broadcast very broadly. He wanted to spend his time orienting his disciples to what it meant to follow him. So here's what he says. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hand, human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after he will rise again. Now, Peter's already said, that ain't going to happen, Lord. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. That's East Texas. He ain't going to happen. So it's already happened once. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of human beings. Watch this text. They did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. That's why I'm saying they don't get it yet. Keep reading. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. So now they're afraid. They're silent. They're afraid to ask him. They're quiet. They're having this conversation. They're consumed with their own stuff. You get that? Consumed. They were silent, for they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. I'm a better disciple than Keith. I'm a better disciple than Gene. I'm a better disciple than Jimmy. Oh, I'm a lot better disciple than Kyle. I mean, do you think, I mean, you're, in my mind, I'm thinking, if I compare my faith and following Jesus to these guys, whoa, I'm a lot better off. They were arguing, no, I think this person's the greatest. No, I think this is what it means to be the greatest. They kept silent because they knew one thing. 
this was not the kind of conversation Jesus wanted them to be about. They knew it. He, he said, call the 12, and he, said, he came down, call the 12, and here's what he said. Whoever wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. Then he took a little child, put in his, among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. So let's go back through and see, since they missed it there, what is the nature of this kingdom life? It starts with the journey to Jerusalem. From 8.22 to 11.1, here's all the cities that are mentioned. He starts in the northern part, he starts in Bethsaida, goes up to Caesarea, Philippi, down through Galilee, across to Capernaum at the edge of Galilee, goes to the region beyond the Jordan, now he's coming south. He goes to Jericho, not far from Jerusalem. Then he runs to, goes to Bethany, Mount of Olives, and Jerusalem. You think, wow, that's, that, how far is that? Well, I did the checking on it. You know how far that is? It's 180 kilometers, roughly. Anybody can translate kilometers real quickly? Any of you good math students? Jared knows the answer immediately. He's just that fast. That's right, Jared. It's 111 miles. See, Jared had it. He, just right there. He got it. So when you're reading the Gospels, you're not reading something that happened on one day. You're not reading something that just happened on two days, possibly. Now, it's roughly to my house about 118 miles to Irving, Texas. 180 kilometers is 111 miles. How long would it take you walking with his disciples, with, a, with a, your entourage, take your family and start walking to Irving, Texas? How, you going to do it in a day? You going to do it in two days? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but the point I want you to make is where he's headed is Jerusalem. From way north, across, down to Capernaum, across the other side of the east of the Jordan, and he's coming down through Jericho. He gets to Bethany, the Mount of Olives, and then he ends up in Jerusalem. You're not talking a couple of day walk. What I want you to see is, what is Jerusalem all about? Jerusalem is all about, what's on the screen? The cross. Jesus is saying, here is the journey I'm taking to Jerusalem, Three times he mentions, I'm going to suffer at the hands and be betrayed and rejected. They still don't get it. It's like spending your life in church and missing the whole point. All right. So let's just review. What does the journey of the kingdom life look like? Our journey, their journey was to the cross, so let's just go. The journey of kingdom life is number one. We talked about this last week. The first thing he does when he says, ask him, who, does son of man, who, do, who do you say that I am? What does he do? He says, I'm going to suffer, chapter 8. So let's go to the next slide. Here's the first thing in kingdom life. Are you willing to suffer? Wait, I, I don't come to church to suffer. Really? I didn't sign up for Jesus to suffer. He did all the suffering. If you're going to follow a suffering servant and he calls you to be a ser servant, why are we surprised when life has pain? Why are we surprised when life 
calls us to suffer? Why are we surprised when the suffering comes in our life like God's got something against us? If we're following the suffering servant of Isaiah, why in the world would we think we could get out without being scathed? Why? So the kingdom life is, you better think about, are you here just for all the goodies? Are you here just for the benefits? Are you here just because it's comfortable and convenient and when it gets a little suffering or there's a little conflict or there's a little tension between brothers or sisters and, there's a li- and the church is called to suffer a little bit, are you going to say, well, I didn't sign up for this, I'm out. Well, then you're a consumer of religious goods and services and you don't get it any more than the disciples got it. Number two, he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him in chapter 9. Are you willing to listen to Jesus as the priority in your life? Well, there's some really good stuff in the book of Leviticus. Yeah, there is. There's some good stuff in Genesis. Was it a 24-hour day? Was it seven full days? Was it this? You can argue about a lot of that stuff, but who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? Are you really going to listen to Jesus? Number three, he runs across a, a boy, seizures, convulsions, They ask his disciples to take care of it. They couldn't do it. We talked about that story last week. So here's the question. He says, some of this kind of healing can only be done by prayer. Are you willing to pray for healing? Chapter 9, 14 through 27. Are you a church? Are you an individual that boldly asks God to heal? To heal the brokenness in families. To heal the brokenness in people's lives. To heal people from disease. Are you, a, are you a prayerful person praying for healing? If you're going to exhibit the kingdom life, then will prayer be a part? Can this be a church? Can this be a church, or has this been a church, or will this be a church that anybody in this community could say, if you want a praying church, you need to go to Lamar Avenue Church of Christ. They'll pray for you no matter where you've come from, who you are, what color you are, what you believe or don't believe. If you've got a prayer need, this church will pray for you. Years ago at the South MacArthur Church in Irving where I preached, put on the marquee on the outside, we'll pray for you. Email, at the time I didn't use text, fingers are too fat, couldn't get used to it. Email, and I put my email address. So I called the city Uh, planners, the traffic people, I said, how many people go through this intersection a day at the corner of Shady Grove and South MacArthur in MacArthur in Irving, Texas? And he said over 30,000 go through that intersection a day. I thought, oh, you got to be kidding me. He said, no. What have I done? So it stayed up. I left it up two weeks I got over 300 specific requests for people for prayers to my email. I'd email and say, thank you, praying for you today. Are you a church that's willing to pray for anybody regardless? Are you a church that will pray with, not just for? Are you a church that's known in this community and wants to be known as a praying church? Because that's the essence of kingdom life, according to Jesus. And some things can only be cast out and dealt with by prayer. Number four, will you serve and welcome? This is the whole servant theme in 9, 33 through 37 that we looked at last week. 
He's going to be betrayed. In the text we just read, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And he says, here's a child. Bring a child over here. And so will you, will you serve and will you welcome? Will you be hospitable? He uses a child. In the first century culture, three groups of people had no legal status at all. What were they? Children, slaves, and women had no st legal status whatsoever. Jesus takes a child and gives them dignity and status and says, you better welcome people like you would this child. Wow. Jesus is calling them. Number five. Number five. Will you acknowledge... And this is the one we looked at that's a tough text. 9, 38 through 41. Now, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not part of our group at the corner of Lamar and the loop. Stop him. Those people are wrong. Point out error. Get them stopped. They can't do it. They're not part of us. we got to stop those people. And Jesus says, do not stop him. And what, what, what does he say? Whoever... Whoever is not against us is for us. And another gospel says, whoever is not for us is against us. If you, whoever gives a cup of cold water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the, their reward. I don't know what all that means, but I know this. Jesus is calling them to account about their attitude toward people that aren't part of them. But believe in Jesus and do good things. Well, I'm just interested in the truth. There it is, brother, sister, take the truth. I didn't say this. Jesus did. It's not my opinion. Jesus said it. Whoever gives out cups of cold water in my name, will you acknowledge that God works in others beyond our local congregation? Well, yeah, yeah. Will you believe that he not only works in, but works through and can be blessed? On your mission, in your church, it says... Unity of believers, does it not, Keith? Restoration of all things, does it not? Huh? Unity of believers. Why in the world would you not work with other people who believe in Jesus Christ? Are you going to give up anything you believe to work with other people who believe in Christ, even though there's lots of differences? Are you going to partner with service with others? Why is that a threat to you? Jesus would say, you don't have to be threatened by that. God's a lot bigger than your tribe and a lot bigger than your, the, the, the building at the corner of Lamar and the loop. You say, now preacher, you're kind of treading on. I'm not treading anywhere Jesus doesn't tread. I'm not walking anywhere Jesus hadn't walked. I'm not teaching anything Jesus hasn't taught. The Bible tells me so. And that's us. Number six. talks about not putting a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe. Who, is, who are the little ones? He's not talking about the preschoolers. He's talking about people who are young in faith. He's talking about people who are just getting introduced to the faith. Don't put a stumbling block because this large millstone that they grinded grain with, it's an exaggeration. Put that around your neck. You're going straight to the bottom fast and you're not getting out. Strong words from Jesus, church. And then he uses these interesting phrases. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, 
cut it off. What? Better if you go into one foot, one foot than in have two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. Same kind of phrase. And then he moves into everyone will be salted with fire. That's an oblique statement. I have no clue all the implications. John Cannon will deal with that because he's more mature than I am. Have fun, buddy. <laughs> Enjoy that with this church, will you? Um, salt is good. This gives you a little bit. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season again? What in the world is he talking about? Salt preserves. Salt cleanses. Salt purifies. We can go through all that stuff. What's about the hand, the foot, and the eye? What? What? Let me go to Paul just a second. Ephesians 1:18. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. What? Eyes of your heart? It's imagery. What if your hands have to do with what you do, and your eye has to do with what you think, and your feet has to do with where you go? It's that simple. How do I know that? He's not talking literally when Paul says, I pray the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. He tells you, so that you may understand. Eyes and heart have to do with understanding. Hands and feet have to do with action. Ears and mouth have to do with speech. And some of them are used interchangeably. It's a way of communicating the essence of God wants you to deal with your thoughts, your behaviors, and your actions, where you go and how you... He wants you to deal with your influence because if you don't deal with your influence, you're not part of the kingdom life. You're not... It's the kingdom values. Does that make sense? This is yes, this is no for those that are still awake, all right? Okay? And so, in essence, deal with your stuff. You got something that's offensive, you got something that's, that's a little, deal with it. Your thoughts, your speech, your actions, pay attention. You have influence, pay attention to it. So let's summarize Jesus' frustrations with his disciples and ask, let you make the application of so what. Here's what he did, they, he did. Jesus well, you were right. Go next one. There you go. Jesus' frustration. They consistently missed what mattered. That's why he wanted time. He didn't want to do all the public healings. He didn't want to do all the public stuff. He didn't do all the public teaching. He wanted time with his disciples to get them on the right page about what really matters if you're part of my kingdom, my rule, my reign. They consistently missed what mattered. They questioned, well, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by this? They, they argued who's going to be the greatest. They misunderstood the nature of what Jesus is about in God, God's whole life. And they hindered people. Two times he said, do not stop people. Do not stop the children from coming to me, and don't stop people who are casting out demons in my name. I mean, it's emphatic. Do not stop. What part don't you understand of that? I understand it. Don't stop the children from coming to me. They've, they're valuable. Don't stop the man who's casting out demons because he could be doing something, something good in my name. Well, here's three takeaways, and we'll go to lunch. Number one, his frustration to me was summarized by this. They had a focus on their agenda, not on God's mission. God's mission involves suffering. God's mission involves love. God's mission involves service. God's mission involves humility. God's mission involves hospitality. God's mission involves a suffering servant for the sake of the world. That's who you're following. 
live like it. Their agenda on God's mission. Number two, and this really hits us hard, they were focusing on their benefits and not blessing others. They didn't realize that the grace, here it is right here, I love it on this pulpit. It's going on my Facebook today. I'm going to take a picture. They didn't realize that God's grace makes us responsible to share grace and bless others. That's, our, that's the first move of the gospel. The first move of the gospel is to bless others. It's the great commission of the Old Testament. Be a blessing, he told Abraham. Be a blessing. All nations will be blessed to you. So act like you've been blessed because you have been blessed and bless others. If your first default is, well, I just don't know if we could fellowship with them or not, or I just don't know if we could partner with them or not, or I don't know if we could do this with them or not, or I don't know. What? What you're doing is doing what the disciples did. And you'll end up in arguing with one another, who's the greatest? And you'll end up getting off, way off of God's mission. They focused on the benefits. That's why when things get tough in a church, you find out who's really in it, don't you? Right? That's why when hard conversations need to happen, we need to have them and not suppress them. Us church folks are really good at keeping things below the table in our little groups talking about things, rather talking to people. Can I get an amen on that? If you've got a problem, go to the, don't talk about them, talk to them. Let's let conflict come up. Let's not squelch conflict. It is the responsibility of these elders not to suppress conflict, get it on the table, and work through it in godly ways. And that's against all of their natures. Their wives will tell you that. It's true. See, I get to go home, you know. You don't have to put up with me any longer. I'm just telling you the truth. What we do in church is, let's be nice, but then behind the scenes, we're not nice. We align ourselves with people we like to be with that think like us and talk about. And then what we do is we have all these conversations below the table. Let's learn to get them up. Look, because when we start talking about blessing others, instead of being driven by benefits, there's going to be some hard conversations. And they need to take place. Number three, a focus on excluding rather than including. Two times, already mentioned it. Won't go into detail. A focus on excluding rather than including. Godly leaders and godly churches empower people to serve Christ more fully. They don't control people for their own agendas. Godly people, godly leaders let people go. Godly churches are known as empowering people and, and turning people loose to serve God. Now, there's not a hidden message here. It's just the message. And so, let's ask this question for Lamar Avenue. So what? So what? All I want you to do is think, of a so what and talk to somebody about it. What's the so what for your life? How inclusive are you or how ex exclusive are you? 
What do you do to show God's hospitality and welcome? How, what's your attitude toward other people in the name of Christ who you differ with maybe doctrinally, but they're doing things in the name of Christ and they love Christ as much as you do and love God as much as you do. You can't say they don't. What are you going to do to partner with them and without sacrificing anything you believe? See, those are the so what's, right? And they're hard so what's. It's easy just to be a good come, sit, listen, and leave, consume some religious goods and services, get on with your life. But man, this is why I started where I started. I started with, I don't want to do church all my life and get to the end. And Jesus say, Grady, you're a good guy. You did some good things, but you missed the essence of what it meant to follow me and be ruled by me. I don't want that. I don't want that. I want God to say, well done. Because you were faithful and focused on what really mattered. That's what I want, don't you? So Mark shows us what the so what is in 8.22 through 10, 46 through 52. That's the discipleship section of Mark. And the Bible tells me so. If you need to be baptized into Christ today, it's a great day to do it. It's going to be a super moon tonight. And the light's going to shine on you day and night. This is a super day to be baptized in Christ. It's a super day to follow Jesus more intently. It's a super day to ask, Jesus, what do you want me to hear and where do I need to go? Let's stand and sing.